Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Tracy Wolfe, New York Times and USA best-selling author of more than 60 novels, including the wildly successful Crave series, who is joined by Bridget Kemmerer, New York Times best-selling author of more than a dozen YA novels, such as Defy the Night and A Curse So Dark and Lonely. They'll discuss the dual challenges of writing books and motherhood, staying true to your process and going all in on your dreams. Inspiration starts now. Hi, Tracy. It is so, so good to talk to you again. I was so excited to be invited to chit chat with you for this podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Of course. I was so excited when they asked me. I was like, I want Bridget because we got along so well last time and I just think we're on our way to becoming fast friends. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. I, um, you know, it's, it's funny because I know we were talking earlier today and I know no one listening to the podcast is going to know what we were talking about <laughs> earlier today, but we were sharing all of the deepest, dark, darkest secrets about publishing. No, I'm kidding. We, <laughs> we're giving all of the gossip and no, um, but you know, we were talking about what we wanted to talk about on the podcast and I loved that the, one of the first things you mentioned was talking about um, motherhood and writing and books and how it affects both of us. And I know you have three boys and I have three boys. And I know your kids are a little older than mine, right? Yeah, mine are um, in the teenage years, which I think is better and also worse. You know what I mean? Because it's just it's just different problems, right? Um, yes. As we're talking, one of mine was literally just standing here, like walking in to start to say, say something to me. And at least he realized like something was going on. So he was like, held up a finger and like backed away slowly. I was like, thank you. I mean, it's taken many years of training to get there. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> hey, we're there now. Yeah, it's it's funny. I still remember. So mine are kind of like in the middle. So mine are 15, 10, and 8. And so I still So your youngest is, my youngest is your oldest. So, oh, okay. So my yes. youngest is 15. <clears throat> and I remember years and years ago when I was still working full-time, um, and I'm a full-time writer now. Are you a full-time writer? I am a full-time writer, yes. Okay. So I'm a full-time writer now, but I was working- Hey, Bridget, how are you? I in finance. And I remember I was right after I quit the day job. Right after I quit the day job, I had lunch with another author and I was saying I felt terrible that, you know, I had still been working when the boys were young and, you know, and that, you know, I had missed that time at home with them when they were young. And she was like, no, 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 you need to be aware that when they really need you is when they're older. And now that especially like with the 15 year old and the 10 year old, I am really starting to see what she meant. Oh my gosh, we are having DPS issues here in Texas. I don't know if other people around the country are having the same problem, but it's super, super hard to get an appointment at DPS. You have to wait like months and months. What's DPS? Months. I'm sorry, it's like DMV, the Department of Public Safety. It's where you get your driver's license oh. and stuff. And okay. as we have teenage children, or I have teenage children, um, I have been on this long process to get one of my uh, one of my sons his driver's license that has spanned several months at this point and just yesterday I was camped outside the DPS office at 5 30 in the morning waiting till it opened at eight o'clock so we could get in and get a same day appointment we got there at 5 30 and that was we were fifth in line and by the time it opened at eight o'clock there were 
approximately 50 people behind us trying to get these wow. same appointments. And of course, most of them did, did not get them. We did. And we now have a, a licensed driver. So we're very excited. Um, had to go celebrate after that. But, uh, but that was the second morning in the last month over this whole, it's been, it's been a process is all I'm saying, you know, yeah. with, with, you know, every kid is different and this one's just been a little bit of a process. And, um, it's the second morning we've camped out at, at five 30 to, uh, to do this. So it's been just one, you know, just one of those things that, yeah, they need you when they're older in ways that you don't anticipate when they're younger. They're not like pulling on my, you know, skirt the way they were when, when they were little, but yeah, no, there's all these other things and somehow they're somehow just as time consuming or whatever. Yes. Yeah, they really are. No, I saw I saw a TikTok recently and I had to comment on it because it was this young mother and she was talking and she was she was an aspiring author and she was talking about how everyone was telling her, you know, just wait, don't, you know, don't try to write now. Wait and, you know, wait till your kids are older and write then. And she was like, "But I want to write now." Yeah. I think uh, so and I better. and I commented on it and I was like, "No, girl, write now." Oh, like wait. It does not matter. Your kids are going to need you no matter how old they are. When they need you. When they need you. And I'm like, they might be three and, you know, crying to be picked up from their nap. But when they're 15, they're texting you to pick them up from their friend's house. So doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We host D&D once a week at my house, Dungeons and Dragons, for um, my younger two boys. And, um, yeah, so there's always a bunch of kids here and I love them. They're great kids. They've been friends, you know, all through my oldest or my middle is 18. And so they've been friends since they were in junior high or freshman year in high school. Um, but yeah, that's like one of those things, you gotta, you know, you gotta do all the party prep. You gotta do all that. You have, you know, eight kids in your house, you know, playing weird music and (laughs) speaking in weird night voices and, and all of those things. And, and I love it and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but yeah, no, when they were little, I wrote my first novel when my youngest, she was 15, um, was a baby. And there were three years between him and my middle child. And I worked really, really, really hard. Actually, it's not true. I guess I wrote my first novel while I was pregnant with my youngest, now that I think about it. And my oldest, or my middle was two. And I worked really hard. He, thank God, he was a good sleeper. My oldest was not, but he was a good sleeper. And I literally would put him down for a nap crawl out of the room because that's what I had to do not to disturb him was crawl out of the room and then race up the stairs to my office and write for two and a half hours and he would sleep every day for two and a half hours and that is how I wrote my first book I mean yeah now the idea of two and a half hours uninterrupted is is a pipe dream yes (laughs) because you know with the pandemic you know well you know you've been at home with them in the the pandemic and and uh, my middle is still doing um college classes online so he's here all the time, and um, my oldest um, is still working from home because of the pandemic. So he's here all the time, and yeah, just, just <laughs> and my partner. And so the house is filled with people who need my attention. Yes. No, I got to a point, you know, during the pandemic, probably during the first year, you know, every anytime you do a virtual author event, like the number one question was, you know, so tell us how you know, how have you coped with writing during the pandemic? And I got to a point where I felt like my answer started getting really angry. Like, how do you think I did? Like, we are all just coping, you know, doing the best we can. There is no magic formula. Um, you know, I locked myself in a room because I needed to pay the mortgage. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, wrote, like- <laughs> I wrote all of 
all of Crush, because Crush was written, Crave was written before the pandemic. It came out at the beginning of the pandemic. But Crush, actually all three of the books were written during the pandemic, um, the last three. And I wrote Crush um, literally sitting in my bedroom, on my bed, cross-legged, right? Just mm-hmm. typing away, typing away. Like the door would open and I'd be like, throwing a hand up. No, 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 no. Or like, yes, it's okay. And uh, yeah, no, like just a lot because we had we were on a super tight tight deadline for that one and I was just like like yeah 10 hours a day just locked in my room like you know yeah and and that was I think the only way that that it got done you know and I mean we have like three dogs that are always the other thing is right whenever you do a an event you know like this guaranteed like the dogs will be barking somebody will ring the doorbell the dogs will go crazy the children will yell at the dogs to calm them down trying to quiet them for you but then their your kids voices are there you know always 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 um something but there was something else I wanted to say and I can't remember what it was I was going to say about the whole like oh well I'm really lucky like I'm an extrovert so having all the people around all the time was actually kind of good for me I think because I think I would have gone really really had a hard time with it if um if it was just me you know or Mm -hmm. just like one or two of us but I know that so many of my my introverted writing friends have had such a terrible time with having you know just their spouse there all the time and their Mm -hmm. children there all the time because they don't have that escape space and thank goodness I have a big enough house that you know we all kind of have our own spaces so at the beginning I had instituted alone time like everybody had to have alone time everybody had to go to their own space and that that like worked really well I think for us um, because you know, there's a lot of testosterone in my house with three teenage boys. There just, there just is. <laughs> um, but, um, I can, you know, this is what I would say. If I'm, if the writing is going well, I can write through anything. It doesn't matter if the kids are fighting, the dogs are, you know, barking, the doorbells ring. It doesn't matter. I can write through anything. If it's going badly, if they're sitting near me and they breathe too loud, I'm like, really, do you have to do that here? And I, I think I even said that to my, my middle son, who is the, the comedian, by the way. And he was like, yes, mother, I really do have to breathe right here. And I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. Well, go over there and do it. (laughs) Go over there and do it. I really do have to breathe. (laughs) Like, why? Why do you have to breathe? Why is that a thing? So. Kids, man. (laughs) They're special. They're special. We love them so much, but they are fantastically special. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're just man yes yes yeah I remember there was once a a writer who dedicated a book to his family and it was something like you know to my children you know whom I love dearly you know without whose presence this book would have been written in half the time I know <laughs> like, right? I feel Absolutely. it so deeply right? like, deeply in your soul yes, deeply in your yes. Soul. now do you yeah. feel do you feel like having children changed you as a writer that's a really interesting question for me because I had my oldest when I was 21. And so for me, I feel like I feel like I don't really know myself as a writer without having had a child. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I wrote all the way from the time I was very small. I say since I, you know, learned that words made sentences and sentences could tell stories. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't like professional writing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like every day grinding it out, turning out a book, you know, that kind of a thing. And um, so I don't know. I can't say that. What about you? I assume since your kids are younger, you've been writing longer than they are. They've been Yeah, I, you know, I had started writing in, again, kind of the same. I wrote, you know, all through, all through school and through high school. Um, 
I just recently went back to my high school for career day and told them all about how I used to get in trouble because I would write during class. Like I would write longhand, like hidden under my notebooks. That's so fun. And, um, but it wasn't until my, I was in my twenties and I remember I was pregnant with my first son that I was really starting to query my first novel and trying to find a literary agent. Um, and yeah, I do feel like having kids kind of changed my whole outlook on life and what I was willing to, I don't want to say what I was willing to risk, but more what I felt like I could accomplish, if that makes any sense. I don't know. I feel like motherhood um, makes you aware that there are things that you can do that you didn't think you could do before. And I don't know, it, it I, I, Hi, I'm a writer. I can use words to describe feelings. Um, sometimes, you know, I sometimes you, right, like, <laughs> you know, I, you know, it was it was just a very interesting feeling to you know to finally have a child, you know, have a piece of your heart outside your body, um, and to suddenly realize what people mean about you know like how you would do anything to protect that child. And you know, I have never been like a confrontational person. I've never been somebody who would like get into it with somebody over anything at all. And, you know, suddenly here I had this baby and my first baby was born. You know, I had preeclampsia. It was just a very <gasps> Me scary too. Delivery. Oh my gosh. Something else we have in <gasps> common. My first baby, my other, all my babies were premature, but they had to induce with my first one. The other two just came prematurely naturally, but I had really bad um, preeclampsia with my first one. That's wild i didn't mean to interrupt i'm sorry no it's like, oh crazy. my gosh yes this is crazy we have too many things in common we do yes we do. um but yeah like after going through that whole experience because the first doctor that i had you know i was like something is wrong like something is truly wrong i know like i know in my soul something is wrong and my doctor kept being like no you're just stressing yourself out and i was like no like something is wrong with this pregnancy um and, you know, he, he didn't believe me, you know, and that's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on doctors not listening to women, right? Oh, yeah. And, and I went and I got a second opinion and I, just going through that whole experience and I remember going to the second doctor and that doctor was like, I realize you just met me this morning, but I really think you need to be admitted to the hospital and this baby needs to be delivered um, because of preeclampsia. And, you know, going through that whole experience and and having a baby it it really did change kind of my my whole outlook on everything and it changed it was the first time that i had really had to kind of take a stand for something um and i feel like it changed the way that i looked at my writing like my writing before then um you know i think i always had a voice but i think i was always trying to really tell stories in a formulaic way i was really always trying to you know tell a story that an that an agent would want to hear or that an editor would want to read um and it wasn't until after that that i started being like i'm just going to write stories that i would want to read you know there was always a little bit of that um but i think that kind of going through that experience i kind of had a little bit of like no i'm going to do this for me now you know what i mean yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I think, but I think, I, I wonder, I mean, and maybe it really was a motherhood thing, but I think that all writers um, who stick with it, right, long enough, kind of get to that point. Because I know that, you know, at the beginning, I was absolutely like, what kind of book can I write that'll get me an agent? What kind of book will I write that can get published quickly, you know, um, so that, you know, you don't have to write seven, 10, 12 or whatever before you get your first one published. I was actually really lucky. I got my, um, I did get my first novel published. Um, but I think it was because I was so focused on that, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
on like what's sellable, what's this, how do I, you know, how do I, what's the best publisher to get in with? For me, it was Harlequin because you didn't need an agent and because they would pick, you know, they were running contests and it would get, that's what happened is that Harlequin was running a contest and I um, entered two contests. I won one placed in the other and one book, and actually it wasn't my first book. My, it was my second book that ended up getting published. And then my first book, my agent at that point, by that point I'd gotten an agent submitted to Penguin and then it actually got published right after my second book. Um, but it was only because of these contests that kind of, you know, got me noticed by the editors, helped me get an agent and all of these things. And I was so focused, I think early on, on like just writing as much as I could and really, really focusing on like what, what the market wanted. But the problem is, right, when you when you trace chase trends, excuse me, when you chase trends, it's really hard it's really hard to break out, right? Because you're always chasing what somebody else is doing or you're always worried about what it's gonna look like or, you know, whether it's gonna be saleable. And yeah, it's saleable, but at the same time it's not anything wow or out there or, you know, different or amazing or something that really captures, you know, your reader. I mean, maybe it is for some people. For me, it wasn't. I'm only speaking about my own experience, I think. And I think that it wasn't until halfway through my career where, and I remember, and it was actually with my my first series that hit the New York Times list. I, um, I really got to, um, I really just said, I'm going to write the book I want to write. I'm going to write the hero that I want to write. Um, I was writing uh, mostly romance at that time um, with like one YA a year. And I'm just going to like let myself do what I want to do. And it ended up being um, the Ethan Frost series and ended up um, doing very, very well for me. And I was I was very lucky. And um, and it kind of broke me out of mid list, as you know, as they say. And um, and yeah, for the first time. And, and I remember even like friends of mine who'd been reading me through my whole career because they were friends or whatever else. And I think even my mom, um, who'd always read, you know, all of my um, all of my novels, had said, you know, I just feel like. This is the first one where I don't hear you reading it. I just get lost in the characters. And I'm like, that's that's what I want, right? You know, before that, they always said, like, I could hear your voice narrating. And now I just hear the characters. That's awesome. And I think, yeah. Yeah. And I think you just have to do that. I think you have to. I mean, I know it's hard because you want to pay the bills and, and mm-hmm. writing. And as in any art, it's, it's hard to pay the bills when, you know, um, when you're not, <laughs> when you're struggling and, you know, you're a struggling writer, struggling artist. But at the same time, I think that you have to like, just kind of give yourself permission to just write what you want to write and believe that if you want to write it, somebody's going to want to read it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more you connect to it, like the more your audience connects to to it. Yeah, And that's really true. That's so true. But your, your connection was like motherhood. You're like, hey, I just went through this horrible experience of like being so sick. Yeah, and maybe that's just kind of what, what just pushed me over that ledge, you know? Because you're right. You're absolutely right that all writers do kind of go through that phase of I'm trying to do it the right way. And then we, you know, figure out that there is no right way. You know, there <laughs> right? is no right well, way. Well, remember that when we ask everybody what their process is and you're like, oh, my process is the worst process ever. Yours must be better. <laughs> and you try to adjust your process and try to, to play with it and make it like less terrible, you yes. know, and then in the end you're like, no, no, this is just my process. <laughs> my process sucks. It just does. And I'm just going to have to embrace it because this is how I write a book. If I try to write a book the way Bridget writes a book, I'm never going to write a book. It's so you know what true. I mean? And you know, it's <laughs> funny. I had a book that I just recently turned in. I did um, 
Defend the Dawn, which is the sequel to Defy the Night, and it comes out this fall. I'm so excited! Oh. <laughs> and I have to, I had to write it. I knew I had to write it fast, so I was like, all right. And I'm good friends with Jody Pico, and she is a very, very, very detailed outliner. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try to write this book the way she does. And so I went through and I wrote a very detailed outline and... I even like started each chapter in Scrivener. Scrivener's my writing software and I started each chapter. Um, and let me tell you, it destroyed my process. I, it like wrecked my creative flow. I could not do it. I feel like I actually wrote that book more slowly because I tried to outline it and I tried to break my process to make it faster. Um, I ended up just ruined. I should have just, I should have just gone in cold the way I usually do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit like, I guess they call me a plotster, right? Where I'm like, I have to know the big basics, all the big things that are happening. And then I can, um, fill in the blanks from there, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, I don't, I don't like going in, like some people like to sit down and just like write and not have anything. And that gives me anxiety just as a, as my own personal process. Like, I think it's brilliant that people can do that. Um, but I like, um, I like to know, like, okay, these are my characters. This is my scenario. This is, like, where I'm going to end. This is what the middle looks like. This is what I have to do to get it. Okay, now let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, let's, let's in, like, let's invent Catmere Academy, for example. Like, what does Catmere Academy look like? My, uh, my agent and I were talking about this this morning because I'm working on something in Charm. And she's like, as I'm, as I'm finishing that up, because um, I'm on deadline for that right now, which is the fifth book in the Crave series. And she's like, what is, what is this like? I can't wait. And I'm like, I don't know yet. I mean, I know what has to happen there, but I don't know. I don't know what this looks like yet because I haven't written it. And I, I don't let the, like the really creative stuff, I let kind of come to me. And then of course, after it starts to come, then you think about it and, and all of that. And like, oh, is that going to work? Why does that, you know, but I kind of like, well, what does it feel like to me when I'm right there? Like when Grace walks in, like, what does that look like, you know, to her? And then. So yeah, stuff, plot stuff, I like to know, big stuff, but yeah, not same. the rest. Same. No, yay. Yeah. <laughs> More things in common. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, but when we come back, we'll pack our metaphorical bags for a trip to a desert island. Every episode of Always Authors Spotlights and Independent Bookseller. Today, we're giving a shout out to the Bookhouse of Stuyvesant Plaza in Albany, New York, which offers a cozy environment for bookaholics with a staff known for its sense of humor and its dedication to customers and books. Locally owned, truly independent, one of a kind. And Bridget and I are so excited because they sell a ton of our books and we are so grateful and so excited to uh, be able to talk about them here today. Yes, thank you so, so much, The Book House. It is so great to hear from all of you. And we also wanted to talk about something else for a second because we are avid readers. Always Authors is sponsored by a free online service called Bookfinity. It's easy to use. You go to bookfinity.com and set up a free account by taking a brief quiz that identifies the kind of books you like to read the most. Then Bookfinity matches you to those kinds of books, helping you learn about books you don't know yet. You can give a thumbs up or down to the books they suggest, so each time you visit the site, the recommendations become more refined. I think it's an ingenious way to help curate our personal libraries. So I'm going to check out bookfinity.com and see what new books they help me discover. Oh my gosh, I did that yesterday, and they helped me discover a few. I was super excited. That's awesome! 
If I knew that you were going to end up on a desert island, I would send a lot of things with you, <laughs> but I would definitely send these three books. I would send The Sky is Everywhere by Jandy Nelson. I would send my favorite collection of poetry, Loose Woman by Sandra Cisneros. And I would send one of my favorite romance novels of all time, Caressed by Ice by Nalini Singh with you. And uh, hopefully those will keep you entertained for a while. Oh, those sound amazing. And I haven't read any of those three, so they would definitely oh, keep yay. me entertained. <laughs> yay. All right. So my three, if I were going to send them with you on a desert island, and I'm looking at this, and, you know, honestly, we both probably should have picked, like, survival books. Like <laughs> that, Yeah, because, I mean, nothing about either one of us screams, like, hey, look, we're going to survive alone right. on a desert island. But, you know. <laughs> and then also I'm kind of like – Honestly, we should also just send each other with three blank notebooks and a pen because I think we would get more use out of writing new books while we're there. But I know that's not the exercise. Um, so I would say Kiss of Deception um, by Mary Pearson, um, one of my absolute favorite books, and An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir, another YA fantasy, um, and also Caraval by Stephanie Garber, another YA fantasy. Um, and I just, I love all three of them. I love their voices. And I think that you would be very, very entertained on that desert island. I have no doubt. I love all three of those authors. So yes, I would be Yay. very excited. So how big is your tour? Uh, let's see. I have five cities in the U.S. Six, five, six, five, five. Awesome. Sorry. And uh, yeah, and then I get to go overseas in July, um, which is really kind of surreal. I have never done an international tour. I went to London a few years ago before the pandemic, um, but I'll be doing London, Paris, Barcelona, and Amsterdam, I think. How which fun! Is, How fun! Yeah, it's terrifying! It's terrifying! It's not terrifying. It's going to be amazing. It's a little Just terrifying. Just tell COVID to behave itself, and it's going to be amazing. I know, it is a little terrifying. I'm actually set to do my first European tour, too. Um, they were, as of now, from what I understand, like, it's all the European publishers kind of getting together, and then that'll be the, like, um, it'll be in the fall, and it'll be, yeah, a lot of cities. A lot of cities, yeah. I think, from what Like, I it's understand. so exciting. Like, it's really exciting, but also, yeah, a little scary, right? Like, oh yes. my goodness. Um, and yeah, we have not, I have not been able to tour the Crave series at all because we um, we came out with Crave in, on April 7th, 2020. And so we kind of, like, had to, like, write the book from scratch of, like, how to do any of this, you know? Yeah. Because at that time, like, everybody was kind of moving their books and like they you know they're like oh this is gonna be yeah. fun we're just gonna push it out we're gonna push it out and my my publisher you know and agent and I we all had to talk and like is, is that what we want to do and we're like we've you know put so much time and effort and you know publicity and all that into this let's just let's just do it you know and um and so that meant like this is so early like my publisher had to buy zoom like we're like what's the best way to do it okay zoom is the seems to be the best way to do it so we had to she had to like buy you know zoom and then we um had to figure out like five events for launch week you know um what were we going to do and we ended up with like a blogger panel and then a panel of authors and then like some i don't even remember everything at this point and so it was like really like what does it look like and so Crave launched then, and so I've never been able to go out. We were planning on going out for court, and then, you know, Omicron mm -hmm. blew up. Yeah. <laughs> and so we didn't. 
Um, so I'm really, really hoping that we get to go out for um, for the end of the series and uh, oh, here in America I and get to do that. I think it'll be a lot of fun to meet my fans. When's it coming out? Um, it's coming out in the late summer. So we're kind of... Oh, I'm going to cross my fingers for yeah, you. Hoping that like everything before the fall thing that, that Dr. Fauci is talking about hits, right? That's that's the goal. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Wow. And then what's next for you? Like, what are you working on now? Um, I, I am working on one of the, the last books of the Crave series. And then after that, we have um, hopefully a spinoff is what's, what's in the works. And then I have a super secret not to be talked about project yet. That Tell is me everything one. on this podcast. <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> that is a, uh, that is a whole different, um, I guess I could say it's like sci-fi. I guess I could say that much. Cool. Um, then, so, uh, yeah, I think that's about all I'm allowed to say <laughs> at this point. But I have a top <laughs> secret, uh, something else that we're looking at that I'm super excited about. So we'll see what happens. That's awesome. What about you? What are you doing? So right now I am drafting the sequel to Forging Silver into Stars. Um, and then after that, I'm going to have to write the third book in the trilogy for Defy the Night. And after that, the third book in the trilogy for forging. So we'll so we'll just we'll be see. here a while doing our thing, and then after that, <laughs> we'll just you know we'll be here for a yeah. while. Yes, right. That's yes. that's the great thing. You know, I actually really love that about about being able to write a series. As a, I love writing standalone books too because I think there's something really you know amazing about about doing that and just having this one book and and the standalone world. But I don't know. I my heart belongs to series. I love being able to like grow a character in a book and grow all the characters in in the arc of of the series. You know what I mean? I'm I'm a sucker for ensemble casts. Like I just love ensemble casts. I love everything about them. Um I mean obviously like the Crave series has Grace, she's the main heroine. Um and it has a hero, a couple of heroes. <laughs> and um but but I built this cast around them that I that I love so much and I've I've really enjoyed as I'm sitting here finishing up, you know, book five and looking on to book six, like really seeing how these characters have grown and who they've become from when I introduced them way back in, in book one. I've it's one of the best things about I think writing a series or a trilogy that you get I to I agree. Do. Yeah. Man. I just love it. We we have a good job, right? We have a good job. We're really blessed. Yeah, it it is We're a good really job. Lucky. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I, I think back to, you know, when I was in high school and just, you know, writing on notebooks under, you know, hiding under my desk, like, so teachers wouldn't see. It just blows my mind to know that this is my job, you know, what I do for a living. Uh, this is how I pay the bills. And it's just sometimes it's really surreal to sit back and think about that. It is. Know? It's it's, the, it's this really amazing gift, I think, that 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 we've been given, right? This ability to, um, to support ourselves by playing in make-believe worlds. Yeah. Um, I love it. You know, I was an English professor. Um, you worked in finance and I was an English professor for a lot of years. And I actually love that job. If I, if I didn't write, um, teaching was like the perfect, you know, profession for me. I love, I've loved my students and, and I have such a good time, um, in the classroom, like, you know, teaching literature and, and my real love is teaching writing, you know? Um, and and I didn't I didn't quit my um, professor job for a very very long time because I was like I'm gonna miss it so much and then in the end it was just where I mean it just got at some point something had to give you know if I'm writing seven books a year which is what I was doing at at one point um, trying to do that and single parent three boys and also 
teach <laughs> three or four classes a semester was, you know, unsustainable. And also um, for a very long time, um, up until very recently, my mother lived with me, had moved in with me because she was ill and I was taking care of her. Um, she died a couple months ago, as I know you know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, thank you. Like, I think the last time we talked, right, yeah. that, was, that was what had just happened. And um, so, yeah, it just at that point, it became unsustainable, I think, to, to have two full-time careers. And, um, and I feel really blessed and really lucky that I was able to choose writing. So, and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's just, it's amazing being able to, to do this and connect with people through storytelling. You know, it's just, it's such, a, it's such an ancient art, you know. And, you know, not to circle back on the motherhood topic, you know, I was, I was talking to my husband last night because, you know, he, we were, we were talking about this podcast today and how, you know, my kids are home on spring break and my kids' school does not coincide with the local public school. So there's no camps. There's nothing going on this week um, that, you know, I could sign my kids up for. There's no other kids in the neighborhood. There's nobody for them to play with uh, right now because, you know, all the other kids are at school. And, you know, my husband's like, well, I've got these meetings today. And I'm like, well, I've got this podcast that I have to record. And, you know, and writing is this, you know, it's an amazing, amazing job, but it's also this invisible job that always seems to um, kind of get pushed to the side, you know, and I don't, I don't want to blame it on misogyny because it's not. Um, and I think about, you know, how few authors there are, uh, you know, at our level who do have kids, right? You know, there aren't a lot because there are, you do get to a point where you have to start making sacrifices and then I started having these thoughts where I was like am I you know am I being selfish by continuing to you know push on with my writing career but then I'm like no you know because I do want first off for one thing I want my children to see that it does take a tremendous amount of work to succeed in any kind of creative field right in any field right in any well in any field yes you know but also I you know, I think it's, I also think it's important for my kids to see that, you know, a woman shouldn't have to step back in her career, um, you know, when there are two parents in the home, right? And not that I'm saying that my husband should have to step back in his. I, it's just, it's very hard with this weird, invisible job that is incredible and flexible in so many ways, um, but is also incredibly time consuming and is very demanding and is very much in the public eye. It's just a, it's a weird role, right? Um, oh, it absolutely is. You know, like, and, and, and I never, you know, that wasn't an option. Stepping back, right. Is, you know, something you think about like, well, maybe I just, you know, be a professor for a while or, or whatever else, because yeah, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, and a lot of like getting up at four in the morning to write because you have to, run carpool or you have to, you know, fit it in and around or whatever. But, you know, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've single-handedly, you know, been the support of my family for, for over a decade now. Um, so, you know, this was my job. Stepping back wasn't, wasn't necessarily an option that I had. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that it's important not to step back. Because this is your dream, I'm assuming. Yeah. You're like me, right? This is your dream. This is what you've wanted to do for as long as, as you know, you could be scribbling under desks mm -hmm. on your notebooks, right? And I think that there is a much more valuable lesson 
to be taught to our children that that it's okay for mom to have dreams. Especially, you know, as we're raising, we're raising six boys between us, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay for mom to have dreams. It's okay for mom to work towards those dreams. And that doesn't mean that she's sacrificing us to that dream because I don't think either one of us are. We're both very Never. hands-on, very involved yeah. parents, right? Um, but it's also really important that that we get to that she, we honor her dreams too. You know, yes, you know, dad and his career and all of that is super important. And yes, all of our things are very important too. But mom, mom is important too. You know, I think it took a long time for moms to to be able to really acknowledge that and I think it's something that women still struggle with because they feel selfish for wanting something or they feel selfish for doing something for themselves that may not necessarily be necessary my son was actually just reading Kate Chopin for um for college was just reading Kate Chopin's A Pair of Silk Stockings and I thought it was so interesting that she that the mother in that story Mrs. Summer is like struggling with the exact same things that that you and I are struggling with today, right? Mm-hmm. She gets $15 and in her head she's like, "Well, I need to spend it on this for my daughter and this for my son and this for my you know, this and I need to buy this and I need to do that." And she goes out to go shopping to uh to buy all of those things for her kids and then falls in love with this pair of silk stockings and she buys it for herself. And then she ends up spending the whole day just on herself, like just doing things for herself and feeling like at first, like incredibly guilty about it. And then afterwards realizing, you know, it was worth it because she went home and she was energized and she could be this great, incredible mom. And that we're, we're kind of trained, I think, in a lot of ways not to want things for ourselves or to, to think that, you know, we're less. I mean, I believe it was one of the women from, um, Gosh, why can't I think of her name now? It's driving me nuts. But she wrote that memoir called Burned Toast. Mm-hmm. And she had said, gosh, why can't I think her name? Um, but anyway, she had said her mom always ate burned toast because, you know, instead of throwing it away because somebody had to eat it and she wouldn't make her kids eat it. Like, you know, I do that all the time. Yeah. Like, it's like, right? You always yeah. take like whatever the, like, I never think twice about it. It doesn't bother me at all. But it's one of those things where, yeah, I'll eat the burned toast, but damn it, I'm going to have this writing career. And it didn't matter when my kids were young and, and I was balancing another job to pay the bills and, and all of that. Um, it didn't matter because this was this was what I wanted. And I think that it's really incredible for our kids to see not only did we want something so bad that we sacrificed for it and all of that, but that we got it. You know, yeah. here we are. We're really lucky. We're both professional writers. We can support ourselves with our writing. And that is really exciting, I think. And I think it gives them... A, a really good role model to look up to, you know? Yeah, you have to sacrifice. Yeah, you have to work hard. Yeah, you have to get up at three in the morning sometimes. Yeah, you have to stay up really night, late nights, a couple nights with court. Like, I didn't sleep at all for, like, several days yeah. at one point during court um, because a bunch of things have kind of happened in my life, and um, and you just kind of do it. But I do, to go back to your original topic of it being this invisible job because we don't have eight to five hours, right? Yeah or seven to three, like a school teacher or whatever else, that it kind of gets shoveled aside. Like the book can always, well, you can just catch up later. You can just do it later. But then later there's always something else, right? And so we're the ones up at three o'clock in the morning trying to make up the lost words or trying to get ahead of the day or whatever else. Because yeah, as moms, I think we do tend um, tend to just put that aside. Because at some point, like 
yeah, the kids have to be fed. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially when they're younger, right? Um, at some point, somebody has to go to the, the DPS with the kid who can't drive so he can get his license, you know? Yeah. Um, at some point, the doctor's appointments have to be capped. And yeah, that's, and because we have a more flexible schedule, you know, yeah. and also I think, let's be honest, because we're mom. Because we're mom. Um, <laughs> because we're mom. That is, uh, that's kind of who it falls on. And so, yeah, writing kind of, I'm, I'm grateful that writing gets to fall around that. I really am. But it's also frustrating sometimes, of course, because you're on deadline and this is a job and you are supporting your family. And yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. it kind of bites sometimes. It does. But we're living the dream. <laughs> but we're living the dream. Hey, I do have this thing though. Do you, are your kids trained yet? Mine are so funny. Like it was, took them the longest time. They were like, if my fingers are actively moving on the keyboard, they were like, okay, mom's writing. The second I stop, as one does when one is writing, to stare off into space and think, not because I'm not working, but because I'm like thinking, is that the best way to say this? Or how would I describe that? Or what does this look like actually? You know? And then literally the second my fingers would pop off the keyboard, they were like, mom, mom, mom. And I'm like, <laughs> still working. Not typing, but working. <laughs> you know, do you have that? Do you ever have yes. that? Yes, yes. <laughs> That the act of typing is not the only part that goes into into the act of writing. <laughs> There's I, more to it. <laughs> yes, I still have a moment memory of, and this was during the pandemic when I was writing, and um, my 10-year-old, well, he was eight at the time, came in the room where I was writing, and I was like, Mommy is writing. You're not supposed to be bothering me right now. And he's like, you're not writing. You're looking at memes. And I was like, don't look at my computer. <laughs> Sometimes scrolling is still. Sometimes scrolling is still writing. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I am looking up what color reptile blood is because I need to know because I have a dragon. Okay. Exactly. I mean, and then maybe I got a little distracted by really reptile blood is orange and all of them, and then I started really looking. <laughs> you know, maybe that happened. Maybe, but it still worked. I'm just saying. <laughs> Kids, man. Kids, man. <laughs> Kids, man. Like, okay, so what's the weirdest thing? Speaking of, like, reptile blood being orange, what's the weirdest thing you've looked up? Or, like, the, like, oh, you man. know, what are so, some weird things? you know, I've looked up a lot of weird stuff. I am lucky enough to have a friend who is a pediatrician who is also, loves fantasy novels. So she is kind of my go-to for, like, anything, anything awesome. medical. Um, my mom is a retired RN, and... I learned the hard way not to text her medical questions because the first time I tried, because I texted her and I said, what's the first thing that happens um, when you get to the ER after someone gets shot? And she like texted me back immediately who got shot and then immediately starts calling me. And like I answer and she's like, what happened? Where are you? Where am I? Should I meet? And I'm like, no, no, mom, it's I'm writing. I'm at Starbucks. Like no one is shot. We're Everything's fi fine. I, nobody, nobody is in mortal jeopardy. I will never again text you a <laughs> writing question. <laughs> I, yeah. Now all of my questions, like, that's awesome. That's if awesome. a monster with claws attacked a man wearing armor, like, <laughs> and severed something, like, how long would he bleed out? That well, is actually know. like a really valid question, right? Although you were talking about mom stories and how like 
they just don't quite get it sometimes, right? Like my uh, I, my funniest mom story is, you know, I live in a house filled. They were their children raised by me, so they're all like fantasy geeks and Dungeons and Dragons players, and and so, you know they're they're into like superheroes and everything fantasy and and all of that. So we sit at dinner, and sometimes our dinner table conversation literally is, "How would you survive a zombie apocalypse?" Right. Which I just thought, you know, in my house, that's just normal conversation. Sure. Like, you know, I'm the first to admit I will not survive a zombie apocalypse. Your job is to kill me first so I don't slow you down, but not let me get bitten by a zombie. That is your job. That's just how it's going to go. Okay. Um, and, and my oldest is like, okay, that's what we're going to do. I'm like, I mean it. I'm not joking. Don't be like, oh, I can't kill mom. Don't kill mom so mom doesn't become a zombie. It's very important that you understand this. And then move along with your lives. Um, so we're going through this whole conversation and my mom was like, keeps looking at us, you know, this after she'd moved in and she's just like, yes. And finally I'm like, what's wrong mom? And she's like, you know, right. The zombies aren't real. And she was just like, so like just adamant about that. And I was like, yes, mom, this is just a, a, a hypo, you know, like, I mean, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know what to say to her. That I was like, yeah, I know zombies aren't real, mom. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, it's still a conversation. It's still a real valid conversation. What would you do during a zombie apocalypse? You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I just had nothing. <laughs> the strangest thing I've ever Googled is this book called, for this book called Doom that I was writing, I think it was back in 2012. Um, the last time paranormals and fantasy were like really, really hot, right? <laughs> and it was a... Um, a techno Armageddon book, right? It was like, the premise was, what if Pandora opened an attachment instead of a box and hearkened technological mm -hmm. Armageddon? And I uploaded it through a massive multiplayer online game and I used um, something like, at that time, nobody had heard of called Stuxnet type blended threat, right? It was, it came out like very, like I'd read about it in a, I think it was in a, in a Vanity Fair article. Um, that a friend of mine had given me and it was like this is exactly what I need and then it turns out of course that it was the um, the the worm that uh, was conceived of under Bush and implemented under Obama and created by Microsoft to bring down the Iranian nuclear system um, but nobody knew it at the time they just had a an idea that that's what it was for and um, so I had done all this research into Stuxnet and then all these other things this is I call it my kitchen sink book because like everything happens in this book and in the middle of writing this book um, the Japanese power plant melts down, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it had that big meltdown and, and everything that was going on. And I'm like, well, yeah, the same thing would happen during, like, this technological Armageddon where I'm taking down all of this electricity. and Because that's what I did. I took electricity down to everything, and it was shocking how everything fails really fast after that. And um, so as, as I destroyed systems, and I'm like, so what happened? So then I had to Google, like, what's the most vulnerable power plant in America? <laughs> and how do I blow that up? And they're like, how would it work if it melted down? And I like waited. I'm not even joking. You know, I waited for like the knock on the door, like, hey, yeah, seriously. what you doing? I'm like, no, really, really, it's in my book. I swear I, it never came. But I was like convinced at one point that like that was it, that I had finally Googled That's something that was going to get me on a watch yeah. list somewhere. Like, no, you can't fly. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you can't. You can't do this anymore. Um, yeah. Googling uh, how, what's the most vulnerable power plants in America. Dream job. <laughs> Dream job. You never know what you're looking at from day to day, right? It could be like, how does this dress work or what color is reptile blood? Or it could be, you know, 
how do you blow up a power plant? I feel like that needs to be our closing <laughs> note. <laughs> that needs to be our closing note. Okay. <laughs> right, that's fair. <sighs> Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers. <laughs>